You are listening to Myth Behaving, a podcast with a little bit of attitude on the literary world. Won't you come Myth Behave with us? Hello, and welcome to Myth Behaving. This is episode number 43, and we're recording on the Ides of March 2015. I'm Paul Ellis, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mara Wilson and Katie Bursky. Katie, how are you doing today? I am well. I forgot it was the Ides of March. I'm a history person, and I should know, but I didn't. Um, I'm well. I am working on my own podcast secretly in the background, um, and it's been a lot of that. Um, But I'm excited because it is uh, March break for the school children up here in Ontario, which means that I have a week of work at the museum, which is pretty awesome. Um, And will be nice to get out of the house. How are you, Mare? I'm great. I'm fabulous. I'm getting ready to release um, a box set of the stories that are in my series, and the third book will be coming out like next month, I think. Oh, that's awesome. your fingers on that. Yeah, so two things releasing like almost back to back. How are you, Paul? I'm doing great. I actually got the proofs back for Dirty Magic New Orleans, so I've got to get to go over those today and, and find out uh, when we are be uh, getting that out and published. Uh, should be sometime April, May time frame, maybe before Balticon, which would be fantastic. So uh, I'm pretty pumped about that. I've also got my own secret podcast project going on behind the scenes uh, that Katie's aware of. And, uh, I was going to like to ask about that Yeah, it's, I might it's have been... a vested interest in it. <laughs> oh, you, oh, okay. Uh, it, it's going well. Uh, I'm actually getting through the uh, early... Uh, pre-production on that and looking for some foley and i've uh, got two bands that have agreed to for me to use their music as part of the soundtrack for it so that's it that's it's been a lot of fun and what did you think of live oh they were fabulous absolutely fantastic of course they were of course they were um for you listeners if you have heard anything of mine you have heard my creative partner uh blythe haynes and because i can promote to all my friends she's also in paul's podcast so that should be good fun I love all the podcasts we've got going because there's never too many. You know, you can never have too many podcasts. So I think this is awesome. And hello, listeners. Speaking of podcasts, listeners of Misbehaving. Each Misbehaving show features a very special guest from the literary world. It could be a writer, publisher, agent, editor, or anyone else connected with the world of publishing. And we have a very special guest today. Be very quiet when hunting books in the library of a myth behavior. That means it's time for something from the library of a myth behavior. Today, we're discussing Nye by Marie Bilodeau. Okay, so two words on this one. Fairy apocalypse. I know, right? It doesn't sound like they go together, but they totally do. Um, So in Nye, uh, we've got Alva Taverner, who has lived in her small town all of her life, working as a car tech while she's saving up for her younger sister to go to university. But as the veil between our world and the worlds of the fairies weekends and falls, everything is about to change. Um, Now that sounds cool enough as it is, but also Nye is actually being released as a serial, which I saw Marie post this on Facebook. A, it means she gets a release party like every couple of weeks. But also, it means that even we don't know how this is going to end. We've only got the first couple parts that are out. Um, so, guys, I've actually read some of Marie's stuff before, so I'm curious to see what you guys had to think about it. Well, I, I thought it was... It. Yeah, completely... Well, right away, on, spontaneous. I yeah. love it. Yes. Uh, a fairy clips. Yes. An apocryphary, something <laughs> like that. Yeah, it, uh, the thing that I like, I, that caught my attention mm-hmm. and that really grabbed me and engaged me was the fact that uh, in this uh, instance of the Fae, that we're dealing with here, 
it's almost completely winter court, which if you've read the old, uh, especially the old German tales, that's exactly the way that the, the, the travelers come across. They are at the high end mischievous, at the low end direct evil. So the fact that we're kind of drawing from those more ancient sources immediately engaged me. And of course, the character building was absolutely fantastic. Uh, no one was too good. No one was too bad. It was, it was a nice way to uh, bring the reader into this world. I agree. That's exactly what caught my attention is uh, the fact that the fairies weren't nice fairies. They were definitely not Disney. I loved Alva. She just brings you in right away and you feel for her. I, I liked all of the secondary characters as well, though. I mean, each one is very well drawn. You've, you've, she's able to, these are short because this is a serial, but in, in spite of them being short, she's able to explain who they are in just a few words. So you have, you've got exactly who these people are very, very quickly. You don't have to read like chapters and chapters before you know who they are. You've, you've got a handle on them right away. And I really liked that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely a strength of hers. Something else I really like about this is um, her knack for putting things together you wouldn't normally expect to fit together. Um, like she had a series out with Dragon Moon Press, the Destiny series, and it was Floris in space. And it worked. It was awesome. Um, and it's that kind of quirky, humorous uh, voice that I've always really appreciated about Marie's writing. Did you yeah. say Florist in space? Floris in space. <laughs> i got to read that now. We'll get into it, I'm sure. All right, so today we welcome Marie Bilodeau. That is correct, right? I didn't butcher it too badly, right? You nailed it. Okay, wonderful. Is that good or bad? Oh, yes. Thank you. And thanks for joining us, Marie. <laughs> thanks for having me. Hi, Marie. Let's go back to the beginning. How did you get into writing? Well, I think like, you know, every writer will tell you I've always written. Um, that's that's kind of true in a way. Uh there's always little spots in life. You know, you look back and they're like these little, if you had a highlight reel of how you got into writing, uh, mine would go a little bit like this. Um, when I was seven, I wrote a story on my father's TRS-80. And back in the day, <laughs> there was no memory on that computer. So I couldn't save it on that. And I wrote it in the uh, in the command prompt, which meant as soon as I hit enter, the whole story vanished. Um, so my, my first artistic uh, triumph, which was a retelling of little, Red Riding Hood, which I think was exactly Little Red Riding Hood, but I felt I was retelling it, uh, <laughs> vanished. So, so right from the get-go, my artistics were stopped by the computers. Uh, and then and then after that, I took a little break for about 10 years. It was, it was a harsh blow to my ego. Uh, and, you know, I just always loved story. And I loved when I really learned to love story was when I started reading fantasy literature. I was, uh, French is my first language, as, as with the Bilado there. Uh, and I started reading English and fantasy really at the same time. Uh, I was behind. I was stubbornly refusing to learn English. And in ninth grade, my teacher told me, you have to read three books and do three book reports. I don't care what you read. Just give me three book reports because you're horribly behind in everything, which I was. And my brother gave me a trilogy of Forgotten Realms novels. 
so I absolutely learned to love uh, reading those stories. I had no idea what half the words were like a dagger. What was a dagger? It was magical. It did everything. It stopped stuff. <laughs> it, it killed people. It could it could cut things. It was awesome. Um, I wanted a daggy, I called it. Um, <laughs> but uh, And then from there on, I just learned more story. And I wanted to write my own. It just kind of blossomed inside of me that there were stories I wanted to read that I couldn't find out there. So I figured, hey, I'll just write them. So that's kind of how I got into, into writing. That's my highlight reel. That's an awesome highlight reel. Thank you. Um, it's interesting, Marie, because for some reason I always forget, right, that your French is actually your first language. Um, yes. And I shouldn't, I, but I guess just reading it because you, you wouldn't be able to tell. But that's a really interesting kind of approach to it, too, is you had this extra thing. Have you written any fantasy in French? You know, I haven't because when I was learning English and, and fantasy at the same time, so all of my actual fantastical uh, language, if you will, is all in English. So I, I don't know what most of the things would be called in French, which is a little bit sad. Uh, but I got some exciting uh, news last year as a French publisher is actually picking up the Destiny series and they're going to be translating it and publishing it in French. So my family is going to be able to read these books, which is really exciting for me. Ah, oh, congratulations. Yeah, yeah, thank you. They're going to disown me. But, you know, it'll be fun until then. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll have that beautiful, like, pause between handing them the book and having it, and the, having them open it and look through it and see everything in French and being really excited. And then when they call you up later. Exactly, and I will cherish that pause. <laughs> I'm sure it will be fine. Don't worry too much. Of truth and mythery. Of Truth and Mythery is a segment where we take a commonly held publishing or writing belief and examine whether it's true or just another myth. Um, Marie, so feel free to join in on this. Um, today's myth, writers don't need the muse, they just need to write. Shenanigans. Shenanigans. You call shenanigans. I call shenanigans. Call your shenanigans. I think that every, every single instance where I've sat down to write a story has been inspired by either something I have seen or read or heard about. Uh, I don't know if that says that I'm just not really creative. I, I'm parasitic, but <laughs> that, that's kind of been my take on things. I deliberately hmm. choose controversial myths. Um, well, for me, I know, I guess it kind of depends. Uh, I think a certain amount of artistic thrust or inspiration is very important. But there are also those times when you just need to get the damn thing out, right? <laughs> I especially find that maybe with longer projects where I have a, a sustained inspiration, but that kind of part in the middle where you're stuck and you don't really want to be writing it, but you have to to get kind of back on track and find your way out. And then you do just kind of have to bum and chair, pound it out. So I, I sit on the fence. Now, I feel personally that we have a problem because we don't define the muse completely. So we think it's some kind of like mystical creative force that's going to just make everything glow around us and make the words come out. Uh, personally, I interpret the muse as am I excited by my story? And am I excited enough to carry it through the length of a novel? Um, so I, I think it's a bit of both. I see the muse as excitement and then you just need to write because every book is going to have those rough spots where you just need to get it done. But overall, I think you just need to sit your ass down and and write. I tend to agree with that, Marie. Um, I, I like that I'd never heard of or thought of, you know, calling the muse just your own personal excitement, but I kind of like that. But I also agree with Paul that you've got to have an, an idea of something. There has to be some sort of idea um, that that inspires you to sit down and write, whatever it is, whether it's, you know, um, like I'm writing a zombie dog story right now. Uh, just because 
I put posted something on Facebook and all my friends responded to this stupid zombie meme that I posted. And then a whole bunch of people responded to a picture of my dog. And so I said, I clearly need to be writing or I clearly need to be posting things um, about a about dogs and b about zombies. And everybody was like, well, somebody um, responded, so, well, why not both and get them all in one shot? And I'm like, great idea. And I literally sat down and I wrote the story yesterday afternoon in about two, two and a half hours. Well, you know, yeah, (laughs) along that line, you know, I don't want to say that, that, um, that zombie dogs, how do you follow that up? I'm going to try anyway. Along those lines, I, I don't want to say that you don't need to sit and write because one, one of my memes is BIC, B-I-C, button chair. That's the only way that things are ever going to get written. On the other hand, and some of this may come from uh, my background in broadcasting um, and storytelling itself. I know that Katie's had this experience as well, that uh, sometimes as a professional storyteller, you kind of can get carried away from just one little, one little thing that you see or hear. Marie, do you find that uh, that sort of oral storytelling influences the way that you write? And if so, how? It's usually done in a live audience setting. So, uh, you know, at a tea shop, under a disco ball, um, you know, in places that you wouldn't necessarily think you'd hear storytelling, some of which I think are are R-rated. And so I can't say on this podcast. Um, uh, but but I got into storytelling because I wasn't getting published and I wanted that live audience, right? So it's they're there. They're most Canadians are too polite to get up in the middle of a show and leave. So I'm going to see the reaction to the show. It's our strength. <laughs> exactly. Always count on the Canadians being polite. It's a hostage audience. <laughs> And that's the way I like it, right? Um, I don't even have to threaten half the time, sometimes, but not always. Um, and uh, and the professional, when I started, I thought, hey, I'm going to develop all these stories and I'm going to be able to tell them and it's going to be awesome. And then I'm going to put them down in print and get them published. But the oral storytelling, the art of it is very different, the way that you impart information and writing because you know when someone's listening they can only absorb so much you know there's word plays going to be missed unless it's very obvious or differently laid out like there's a lot of things you just can't do that you can do in, in writing and really deep in a story um I only have one story actually that was ever published in Pothology and Anthology by Dragon Moon Press, uh, edited by Tim Reynolds. Oh, that's the only story I've ever had published that was actually uh, an oral storytelling. But ever since I started as an oral storyteller, that's a big way of going around here to tell you that Nye is actually a study in that because I've always wanted to tell a story that could be supported by the old story. So, uh, you know, the, the old German, Scottish, Irish fairy tales are really scary kind of twisted not right fairy tales that you don't hear so much about because you've got the Disney kind of padding historically between us and those stories um, and Nye is an experiment with that because on top of the the fairy apocalypse books that I'm taking out uh, I have also a, an oral piece that goes with it but the oral piece isn't going to be written down because it doesn't work written down but in Nye I'm using some of the the fairy tale language more and more and some of the way the information would be imparted in oral storytelling I use more in the written medium to kind of bridge from the written medium to the oral storytelling medium if that made any sense 
That definitely does make sense again, especially yes. because a lot of these fairy tales would have started as oral stories. Mm-hmm. Like if you go really far back, and I know you're a history nerd too, you think of like <laughs> peasants doing menial tasks. You're gonna get bored and tell stories and things. So they're coming out of that tradition. So I think yeah. it definitely makes sense to be using the language in this take on it. Yeah, and that was one of the things that came to me. I had the chance to be part of the Iliad and the Odyssey. It was like oh, a I remember full- that. Yeah, it was it was awesome. It's like full day show, twelve hours at the National Arts Center in Ottawa. Eighteen tellers. Everybody had a piece of it, and uh, I mean Homer told it uh, orally. He was an oral teller, and then it was recorded down. Um, you know, he, he recorded it down. Somebody recorded it down. That's not clear, but that's not the part that matters. What matters is the way the information was imparted, because he had like the Iliad. There's a whole chapter on just the naming of the vessels, right? <laughs> when they come to the battle, like how do you impart that interestingly? Uh, but he did have a way to impart the information in in a very flowing fashion that made it okay for the bits you missed as a normal listener. You wouldn't get lost in the story, and because I was part of twice. Uh, once the Odyssey, once the Iliad, and I'm not going to be part of the Odyssey again in April in British Columbia, uh, then I, I, I really had the chance to get into the story and kind of study that idea a bit. So taking a little bit of that into Nai and into the, the oral aspect of it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun to study how that information was imparted, you know, the things that go bump into the night. Definitely. And I think it's also a very intimate relationship too, in a way, like even when you're facing a room full of people, <laughs> if everyone kind of feels like you're talking to them, it's very different than reading a book and hearing basically your own voice in your head. Yeah, it really is. It's uh, you, you have to love, you have to be able to make eye contact to be a storyteller, and uh, which isn't always easy, especially if you're forgetting your story. Um, but uh, it's really intimate because you, you can create this. It doesn't always work out, but you can create this this storytelling silence. You know, this circle mm-hmm. where you know you've got everyone in with you, um, and. And the story just comes naturally sometimes. And the story is a living thing when you're telling it. You can drop pieces. If they're not in the mood for something dark, you can make it lighter. And not every storyteller can necessarily, but I like to do that, play to my audience and just try to bring them in. I mean, if you forget a piece, heck, you just do a great dramatic pause where you look everyone in the eye and everyone just thinks you're like, you're into it. You're bringing the drama and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> it's, it's great. <laughs> and then the creativity comes out. Yes. Um, I know I know we have to move on and I know I'm hogging the mic, but sidebar, Maria, have you ever considered podcasting? Because I think you'd be a natural at it. Oh, you're so sweet. I actually, I did a, a like three stories. <laughs> Three stories uh, I podcasted, but that was it. Uh, but I would love to. I'd, I'll have to chat to you about that. Yeah, we'll talk in April. <laughs> Sounds good. A- another recruit <laughs> coming yes. into the world of podcasting. You good can't have, job. like I said before, you can't have too many podcasts. <laughs> it's time for Myth Print Tips and Tricks of the Industry. It's time for another one of our special segments. Myth Print includes a basic tip concerning writing, marketing, or anything else to do with the industry. Um, Marie, what would you consider the most important tip for someone who wants to write dark, humorous novels like you do? Um, I'd say the most important tip is keep your story top of mind. 
it's easy to get lost in some of the tropes of it, you know, like the, the darkness, it's like the horror, right? So, okay, what more can I, how else can I have jets of blood flying on screen here? Um, <laughs> and the humor is the same way, like, you know, you can get lost in the, in the joke telling and the back and forth between characters. But if you forget that in the end, it's, it's that thrust, that story that's going to keep your readers moving along. So whatever that kernel is, whether it's the character and ideally the, all these things are working together but keep in mind that it's not just about the layering of the genre that you're putting on it it's really about that story in the end of it so can you walk that's us great through? advice yeah thank uh, you can you walk us through your writing process a bit oh sure it's really uh it's really inadequate i think um <laughs> so i start <laughs> off with an idea and i think this is the best idea ever um and uh, it's like I'll, I'll walk you through a novella creation, for example. Does that work? Okay. Yeah, that works. That works great. It, it's really, it's really fast too. So I get this idea. And I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. And then I sit down to write the idea. And then I realize I can't write the idea because I don't have a plot or characters yet. So that's hard to write. And usually it comes as a sentence, you know, like um, up above the sky shattered. Uh, <laughs> and that's actually the last sentence of Nye Three, which you've not yet read. But uh, that's the last sentence. And that's one of the sentences that made me want to write Nye. And I'm like, yeah, this is gonna be awesome. So I start with that. <laughs> And then it all goes wrong. And then I stop and then I get really frustrated. I'm like, oh, I got to get this book. And then I have a mirror in my room. And I realize I can write on my mirror with one of those eraser pens, right? Mm -hmm. So I write on it. <laughs> and then I write ideas and, and uh, imageries. And, and I just make a big old mess of things. And then I don't worry about the first scene. I'm going to start writing wherever the story grabs me. Usually it winds up being the first scene because that's where the story grabs me. And then I sit down. And then I write and write. And I, I'm kind of a, a marathon writer. So I'll write really fast the first draft. Like if I can pump out 10,000 words a day, no problem. Then I'll just keep writing and writing and writing until I'm done. I will leave blank spaces. Like I don't know how they survive this. Figure it out later. Uh, this person needs a name. I can't have three people named Paul. <laughs> um, and then I go back once I've got the first draft and I'm at the end, which I consider kind of like my first, uh, my outline, because <laughs> that's how, how an outliner I am. Then I go back and I I can see the whole story and I can see what the weaknesses are, what the strengths are, what I want, what what's there that shouldn't be there, what's just too much information. And then I just go through like five or six times and just tease it all out, make it all pretty. The last pass I do is a language pass. So first it's plot, characters, settings, you know, I add the colors of the story, the senses, and then the last one I do is just the language of it. So I, I spend more time cleaning up my story than drafting it because I'm a fast drafter. That's awesome. So out of all of that, um, what's your favorite part? Oh, you know, I, I love it all. Uh, I really, really do. My favorite part says <laughs> I have two of them. Okay. Finishing the first draft because <laughs> I get to the end and then finishing the last draft because I get to the end. So getting to the end. <laughs> it is because then I feel so accomplished and virtuous. It's rare that I feel virtuous. Well, I'm sensing a pattern. It's when you finish is when you like it the best. <laughs> Because it's done. You don't <laughs> have to good... worry anymore. Yeah. So what's the most challenging part of it then? Uh, the most challenging part is really try not to get into the weeds too much in a, in a weird way. I tend to, and I think this is something that a lot of fantasy authors go through, is I tend to overdevelop ideas in my head. Like with something like, let's say, for example, motivation, character motivation. Okay, the character is going to go against a big bad guy. Why is the character doing that? And then it's, I tend to overthink it 
where because I think I'm a, because I feel sometimes I'm a difficult person to motivate, I tend to make my characters difficult to motivate. So okay, well sure, you know, the monsters destroyed their village and eaten their little sister and they've stolen all their fajita dressing, but on the other side, you know, the character was having a good time by the pond with her boyfriend or something. So why would she go after the monster? And um, so I find I tend to overthink things when it comes to that. To me, that's the biggest challenge. I, I just feel like I have to add uh, too much. And then when I go through my first pass, usually I'm removing a lot of it because it's, it's just too much. The reader doesn't need to know about the fajita dressing, for example, though it is important. So, now, that stuff you remove, do you archive any of that or you just cut it? Uh, if it's something like anything bigger than a paragraph or a line I really love, you know, you get those sentences sometimes and you're just like, this is brilliant and it might be the best thing I've ever written. Um, then I usually save it. I have a trash file for each of my novels. Um, so I, I keep a trash file for everything and I save it. If it's just extraneous information that isn't even savable, it was just, you know, my brain just basically vomited all over the page and then I take that out. I can say vomited on your podcast, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a very acceptable word. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> I love your process. It's just absolutely fascinating. I have to tell you that. <laughs> Thank uh, you. The next time you're down in Toronto, you should go over to Eric Buchanan's house and see his giant whiteboard paint wall. Because I think you would enjoy it because you get to mess around. But like as high up as you can reach. That would be fun. I'll totally crash. Hey, we can have a party there. It'll be fun. <laughs> okay. I'll bring the booze. You can bring snacks. We'll tell him when we show up. That sounds like a plan to me. <laughs> Marie, we've seen a lot of changes in the publishing industry just in the last couple of years. Has that impacted your own work? And how do you feel about the changes? Uh, you know, it has impacted my work quite a bit, uh, actually. I, I think change is fun. Uh, first of all, I'm not uh, a bit like my writing. I'm more of an enthusiastic, let's just go through it and just get it done type of person. And um, you see, I mean, you hear everything going on in the industry, the, the big six becoming the big five, uh, you know, it's traditional better than self, or there's the vanity publishers, which are a little bit scary. And, you know, everything happening there, I think it's fascinating, to be honest. We're like at the we're in a revolution of how information is imparted from author to uh, audience uh, on multiple levels. I'm not just talking self-publishing. I'm talking also, you know, the small presses are doing awesome stuff. And the and the traditional publishers, uh, the big five, if you will, are doing marvelous things as well. Like they're pushing the envelope as well and uh, at their own speed. Um, for me, one of the things that it's done uh, is with something like Nye where I'm serializing the books and I had such a strong vision with Nye that the cover is even, you know, I wanted a, something that looked like a classic fairy book, but then the title to be either burning through or ripping through or something that, that it was messing up with the pretty cover of the old uh, fairy tale. And I had such a tr strong vision of that. Plus I had the serialization, like each book came as its own piece that would fit a whole and then all these extra oral stories that that go in between and that enhance the story and support it so because I had all of that I wanted to take it out myself this is actually my own uh my own uh creation I've taken it out uh, of my own and it's not, I, I still uh, work with uh, traditional publishers. I absolutely adore the process there as well. But uh, because of the changes in the publishing industry, it gave me the chance to do something that was just different, just because I wanted to bring my own vision uh, and use all of my Taipei personality uh, to help out this book, this project. So, I'm, yeah, I'm excited by all the changes. I think it's it feels rocky to 
right now because we don't know where to throw our uh, energy. But the worst thing for an author is not to make a decision. Just just decide what you want to try out. And it's no big deal because we're all in it for the long run, right? So authors like just go and have fun. This is a great time to be alive. Yeah. Sounds kind of like your writing process. <laughs> just do it. And just then does, if you need to does. change things later, change things later. Exactly. Also a cool follow-up because we were talking about imparting information earlier on the show. And the move from kind of the oral culture to more of a written one. And now we're changing it again. So that's really cool. I had a history moment. The myth number is... But, <laughs> but my history moment must end because it is time for myth nomer, which is our word or phrase for the day. And today's word slash phrase is fairy tales. Um, so we've seen a lot of uh, fairy tales being used in stories lately, whether on television or in books. Uh, so Marie, do you have any tips for someone who's looking to incorporate myths legends, fairy tales, what have you, into their works? Uh, you know, that that's an excellent question. The one thing I would think about is just if you're going to use a fairy tale and focus on that fairy tale solely, let's say you're going to do a Cinderella rewrite, for example, read up on it as much as you can. Just It's fun just because it'll inform your writing and really deepen it and not just the versions of it. Look at what's happening around the world. Like, like what else was written? Was there a Cinderella story in Africa? Was there what, how else was the story imparted? And, and what have some of the scholars said about some of the different ways just because it's it's really fun research and it'll really inform and uh, deepen your writing at the same time so you know go all hog crazy and learn as much as you can it doesn't need to take long because google is an awesome machine uh, but it can really inform everything else that's what i'd say because it, it's just so much fun you should totally do it i've got kind of a vested interest in this myself um the uh, the stories that i've had published uh in the dirty magic series are a uh, is about a detective that runs afoul of a bunch of Celtic mythological creatures. What was it that drew you to the world of the Fae to begin? Because it sounds a lot like Winter Court. I mean, it sounds like you just turned the Winter Court loose. <laughs> um, yeah, it's pretty dark. Eh? Um, you know, I love one of the first times I realized I think that I could totally love fairy tales is uh, I was telling I had to tell a story for a winter show it was uh, at the winter solstice and it was celebrating from going to the darkness into the light I had to tell two stories one in the first half one in the second half and I really struggled with it I, I wanted something that would complement each other that would really work with one another you know one of those and I stumbled on Snegaruchka, which is a Russian fairy tale uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it the snow maiden mm. it's it's yeah, it's terrible, right? Everybody dies at the end except like the guy with his flute who's just freezing outside playing his flute. Um, so like a girl it's very throws Russian. what? It's very Russian. It is, yeah, because it's cold in Russia, right? So you want to throw yourself down a well, and that's what they do in this story. Um, and so I told Snegaruchka, and then for the second half, I told something called the Facebook fairy tale, which is an adaptation of the Snow Maiden to modern day. What would happen now with social media, basically? Uh, and and I realized then that fairy tales are fun to adapt from something that was so dark and and that explained the bumps in the night and why children shouldn't go out alone in the forest and why winter would last so long and all of these horrible things and then turn them on their heads a little bit to see how they would impact nowadays modern world. To me, that that's that's when it really clicked for me that this was a fun exercise to do. All right. Well, switching gears a little bit, if you could have a dinner party with any seven people. Living, dead, or fictional, or fae, who would you include? <laughs> I, you know, I really debated uh, 
I really debated this. Um, you know, Mo, I wouldn't want, I don't know if I'd want to do much fictional um, of my own works because they would all want to kill me after what I did to them. Uh, most of you <laughs> must feel that way too. Uh, you know, as bad as you. <laughs> oh, thank you. You're welcome. I, I think um, I would love to sit down with King Arthur because uh, nice. he's, yeah, he's cool, right? Sword and all that. Legend doesn't matter. Give me the partial historical figure, the legendary guy. Uh, it's all good. It's all good. Tennyson's version would be my favorite, my preferred one, but whatever I get, I'm good with. Um, I would uh, also love to sit down with uh, Virginia Woolf, um, just out of sheer fascination. I have no other reason with that. I am a, a big fan of, and he was kind of a lover, uh, so I'd love to chat with Byron. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, that'd be like a romantic dinner, though, you know, you'd have some, like, roses and poetry, and, and then, you know, wherever the evening takes us. Um <laughs> <laughs> That would totally work out for me. Uh, how much am I at here? I'm at You're three. At three. I, I'm keeping track. Don't worry. Oh, good. Good woman. Okay. Um, I would love to also meet with, um, hmm. oh, Shira. I would love to chat with Shira and her struggles uh, against the Horde. I think that would be an important one to host. Um, <laughs> that was fictional, right? That was totally fictional. That was, yeah, that was totally fictional. That was totally fictional. Uh, I, you know, I'd like to meet um, Robert E. Howard, um, and just, you know, he's he's he fascinates me as a person just because he took his own life in his early thirties, um, and he had he wrote so much and. I love his writings and I just, I don't know, I, I find him fascinating to meet. Uh, wow, I'm meeting with two people who took their own lives now. I'm a positive person. How much am I on now, Katie? Uh, you're at five. Five, okay. I've got two more. Okay. Um, so uh, I'd love to meet um, with, uh, I can meet with someone from the future, right? Of course. Okay. Sure. Awesome. I'd love to meet with the first person who uh, makes it to Pluto so they can tell us if they really felt like it was a, a planetary experience. <laughs> <laughs> ah, space joke. <laughs> that, 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 that answer wins the podcast for the whole year. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the last one is a more personal one. Um, I had, I've never met any of my grandparents really, um, and I had a grandmother who passed away before I was born, and she was my dad's mom, and uh, she told my dad that she would come back and haunt him someday. She would reincarnate and just like haunt him and just make his life a living hell because he had done that for her. It's a good family. Um, and we've come through various conclusions to, uh, we've come to determine that I am actually her reincarnation. Her name was Simone. And I would like to meet my grandma, my grandmama Simone, and just to see if, if she, I am in fact her, her reincarnation. So that would be interesting as well. And, and that's it. Those are my seven people. Wow. I think this is the best party we've ever had. It, it is. Not all at once, though, because I don't want my grandma to be there while I'm, like, wooing Byron. That's not yeah. a thing. That oh, might my... be the other way around. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, now with my grandma, I got it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the, 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 when Shelley spent all that time with Byron, Frankenstein was the result. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> Isn't it romantic? <laughs> <laughs> great, great, great list. 
great list. And the future list of Pluto, Pluto that was like, yeah, that was. should price. add that to the question. Living, dead, fictional, from the future. Yeah. <laughs> Marie, what question do you never get asked in an interview that you really wish someone would ask you? And what would your answer be? You guys already had so many good questions that that's a tough one uh, to answer. But, um, you know, I think one of the good ones would be, are you, no, that's not polite. Wait. Now I'm curious. I I can tame it down. I can tame it down. Do you guys want me to tame it down? I don't. (laughs) It's up to the other two. Say it. We can always redo it if we need to. We can fix it in post. Well, I've already tamed it down in my head because I don't think I want anybody to actually ask it, but I'm asking myself right now. So um, so it's okay to answer it. I'd want someone to ask me something cool. Like, uh, are you actually responsible for the arsons of 1996 in Montreal? You know, nobody ever asked me that. And then you know what I'd answer? No. What would you answer? I'd to talk to my lawyer. but originally there was murder and blood jets in that particular question so i I tamed it down and heads rolling heads i would have been okay with that which you wouldn't have bothered me oh you guys are sweet i like that about you guys but yeah no i i find they're twisted (laughs) i find the sweetest people are often the darkest people (laughs) it's true eh? this is actually this is actually a pattern that I've noticed with writers, I was thinking about writers I knew, and you were one of them, who are very sweet, warm, outgoing people, and they just write the darkest things. Well, that's where the darkness goes, I think, sometimes, eh? I think so. I think so. But I've always wanted someone to just, like, stop and just accuse me of this horrible crime. And because nobody (laughs) ever does, and I don't understand... I'm very suspicious by nature. Because you haven't been accused of a horrible crime, you feel overlooked? Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm a suspicious individual. I make a lot of bad jokes on Facebook. I think beheadings are funny when they're, you know, when they're in books. And they're not, as long as they're not real. Yeah, not real, no, because that's, oh, that's That's not funny. I'm just thinking of all the things I've seen on Facebook. I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> Um, but this actually segues very nicely into our next uh, little question segment thingy, which is that everyone has their own personal myths, uh, things a lot of people think about us that may or not be true. They may or may not think you're suspicious. Um, their own personal myth behaviors. So what myth behavior do people believe about you that is absolutely not true? Well, there was a rumor going around that I was all Hulk Hogan. That's not true. That's not true. <laughs> do you know how this rumor got started? You're going to have to elaborate on that one. <laughs> I made up the rumor. Um, I make up rumors. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> well, it's mean to make up rumors about other people. That's not nice. So I make them up about myself. That's okay. Um, <laughs> so you should make up a rumor that you committed a crime. Oh, you are brilliant. And then someone will accuse you of it. You are absolutely brilliant. Thank you. You've really made this come round for me. <laughs> I try. I try. You need to stop that. We've got to work with her. The flip side of that question then. What, as she desperately tries to stick to the program, uh, what (laughs) misbehavior do people believe about you that is true? I'm fun. It's true. I am fun. I think people believe that. But I don't know. And and I think people believe I'm a little bit, um, I'm a little bit insane. 
Um, that is also uh, true. I have. <laughs> but that's why you're fun. Exactly. Multiple-headed. It's kind of a, you know, they go together. Exactly. Multiple head injuries. It's the way to go, my friends. It, it totally works out. <laughs> I definitely vote for fun. <laughs> oh, good. Thank you. So, yeah, you that, that is vote. totally true. All right. Well, I think we've got the, uh, the plastic and the tarps put down. So what can you tell us about <laughs> next projects? So I've got... <clears throat> Night 3 uh, is coming out on March 26th, I believe. Um, ding. Ding? Sorry, I don't have a bell. I just had to do that. Oh, <laughs> bell. I, should get, I should bring my bell in here and do that. <laughs> Except I would never know when to do it. It's something that you feel inside of yourself. Anyway, night 3 on the 26th. <laughs> I felt that I was in a ring and I just ran out of time. Um, uh, yeah, night three, March 26th, and then four at the end of April, and then five at the end of uh, May. And that will wrap up nigh as it is. But one of my big projects I'm having fun right now is the storytelling show that I'm working on that is a companion to Nye. So it's not the same stories, but they support and enhance Nye. And I am premiering that in BC, somewhere in BC. Uh, somewhere in British Columbia, the answer it will be on my website in April, and then um, I should be uh, doing a full set in Ottawa. I haven't figured out what, but that's going to be in the fall when it's nice and darker and cooler, and we all want to just kind of hang out around stories. Fantastic. Well, I for one am looking forward to part three of Nye, so I'll be looking for that, and just just around the end of March, so everybody. Get the first two installments, read them so that you've got yourself caught up on the third one. And I hate to say this because you have just been absolutely delightful, but it's that time where we've come to the end of our show. Marie, thank you so very, very much for being our guest today. Thank you so much for having me. You guys were a hoot. Aw, you were a hoot. We were all a hoot together. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I can't wait for the next installment of Nye. Um, luckily, I am not working when it comes out, so I'll have all of the time to read it. Yay! Yay! <laughs> time to read fairy apocalypses. And I will I will see you at Ad Astra, albeit likely briefly. <laughs> awesome, I can't wait. All right, everyone, remember, you can go to MythBehaving.com for more information on Marie Belladeau. I'm, I feel like I'm just butchering your last name. No, Belladeau, you're good, you're good. Oh, wonderful. Uh, yeah, go to mythbaby.com for more information on Marie, along with links to her books. You can also read her bio, find links to various and sundry social media platforms. Don't forget that you can download this episode on iTunes or listen to it right on the mythbehaving.com website. Please take a moment to leave us some feedback on iTunes. And you can also subscribe to us right on iTunes. So thank you for tuning in to Misbehaving, and we'll see you next time. I'm Katie. I'm Paul. And I'm Mare, and we are Misbehaving, where reality meets fantasy. See you soon. This episode is copyright 2015 by Misbehaving Productions, in association with Wireless Adventures, and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.